Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can you communicate telepathically with Bigfoot? Is there a connection between the big guy and UFOs? What do you do if you encounter a cryptid? I'm sorry. Hello, and welcome to the 936th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am uh, Ben, and we are coming to you live from WON, AM, and FM radio uh, here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. Those cryptic questions came from my co-host and partner in Paranormal Adventures and dad, Paul. And today, we bring you a familiar guest with some new adventures. And before we introduce our guest, I wanted to comment uh, just on something that's going on, current events that we're all aware of. Yesterday, Ben and I uh, attended uh, ordination to the priesthood of an old friend whom his mom and I, Ben's mom and I, have known all his life. And I still think of him as a kid, but he was 48 years old and has five kids of his own. But he was ordained to the priesthood yesterday at uh, St. Michael's Ukrainian Orthodox Church here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And uh, given what's going on in Europe, uh, there was, of course, a, a, a very uh, strong awareness of that because many of the people in the parish uh, have not only their spiritual roots in Ukraine, but, but their family roots as well. But it was an atmosphere. There were people of, of different races, all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, but there was such a spirit of love and community. And whatever answer there may be to this, I, I think it lies in that. And um, it, it's just um, pray for Ukraine, pray for for all of us, the, the, what's going on there, the, the people, uh, the situation. And um, with the uh, geniuses in charge of the world right now, of course, the fear is that this, this could uh, spiral into a catastrophe of a kind unknown in history. And let's certainly come together and, and try to prevent that. But uh, our prayers and our love are for, for these these amazing people. I don't know, Ben, if you wanted to comment. Um, well, I guess it's an, Im, important to uh, to note that um, it's you know these these are, these are human lives here. You know, I think um, yesterday the the bishop that was there made a really good point, and um, he was he he was like you know. <laughs> He he made a joke, but he was also very serious about it because he was like, you know, we, uh, you know, here here in America, we complain about gas prices, we complain about you know all this stuff, and it's all this stuff happening. But there, there, it's human lives are involved in all of this, and it's it's important to remember that because it's so easy to focus on our own our own problems. I mean, you know, I mean, I do it all the time, right? But there's a, there's a wider world outside ourselves um, with with people enduring some horrible horrible circumstances and um i i think being mindful of that and and grateful for all that we have and doing our best to help other people is is really kind of you know what what we can do you know well uh uh, let me introduce our guest first and then maybe he'd have a comment alexander petikoff is not only a major name in cryptid research but a rising star in the paranormal media as well along with that he's a colleague of ours in flat bay investigations notably the pennsylvania triangle case which will be among our topics today Born in South Africa in 1993, which to me is yesterday, but <laughs> that's me. Uh, he has already been a globe, become a globe-trotting filmmaker, traveling across the U.S. and the world. Alexander has looked into various cryptozoological creatures such as Sasquatch, the Loch Ness monster, the Lake Champlain monster, 
Mystery big cats, as well as other Freudian phenomena, such as UFOs and mysterious places, ranging from the Bridgewater Triangle of Massachusetts, right in our listening area, to the Hermit Kingdom of North Korea, not in our listening area. He has created short documentary films and series on these subjects, among others. While researching the Bigfoot Sasquatch topic, uh, Alexander has chronicled over 50 sightings and reports in his home state of New Hampshire. Working with our friend uh, Seth Breedlove and others, Alexander is a small-town monsters crew member, representative of, the Inter- uh, representative of the International Cryptozoology Museum, as well as a researcher with the Lake Champlain Zoological Inquiry. Today we will talk about his adventures filming the new series Beyond the Trail of. His website, Petakov Media. Dot com. So, Alexander Petikov, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, guys. Nice to be with you. I, I do just want to uh, also add on to the kind of statements about Ukraine. Obviously, it's a, it's a pretty horrible situation. As, as Ben uh, very pointedly mentioned, there's human lives here. I think people have a tough time understanding that. And, and my own personal background, you know, my family lived under uh, the civil wars in the former Yugoslavia, and my family lived under directly under... Uh, 78 days of NATO aerial bombardment, very similar to what the Ukrainians are going through now, but the roles were kind of reversed at that point. So uh, it's, it's tough when you're aware of the situation firsthand, and I, I really just hope that we can come to a, a resolution where as little lives are lost in, in Ukraine and other places and that both Ukrainians and Russians can reconcile their sort of brotherly nature. Those are brother nations. You know, it's very sad to see something like that going on. And, and I also would uh, encourage people not to engage in some of the Russophobia I've been seeing, there's quite a, a bit of targeting r- Russians ethnically, not just for the actions of their government, but uh, somebody with a Slavic-sounding name. I actually feel a little bit uncomfortable in the current state of, of the U.S. right now with this sort of fever pitch folks might remember after 9-11, the way um, people yeah. of Islamic heritage were treated. And I think, unfortunately, we've had a lot of priming for a sort of very... Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to tell the difference, I think, for a lot of Americans between a Ukrainian and a Russian, so be careful who you target. Um, and I just well, hope better that not target anybody. Yeah, yeah exactly. which is just, yeah. it's just, just horrible. I, I just hope we can get to a resolution. And, and I mean, uh, the war in Ukraine has raged for eight years, so I think it's unfortunate that people are just sort of getting hit to what's been going on now. And obviously, uh, the, the larger threat is their nuclear war. And I think, as you, as, as, uh, Paul mentioned the leadership of the world is in a bit of a strange place. So I just hope that uh, we can reach you know people around the world and, and we can find some kind of resolution to the situation. Obviously, prayers to the people of Ukraine and those that are directly suffering under you know brutal uh, brutal conditions because it's not easy. And I don't think a lot of people understand you know how horrific it can be. So mm. hopefully we get to that situation. But with that out of the way, you know, let's talk about some some more positive things. Hopefully, okay. Well, Bigfoot's a nice guy, so yeah, yeah, fun. yeah. He's yeah. You ever seen Harry and the Hendersons? It's kind of like that. Yeah. So Ben, take right. it away. Alrighty. So I guess we'll we'll hop right into it. Um. So I guess let's begin with the you know what what you've been working on lately, what you're working on right now. So so tell us about Beyond the Trail of. Sure. So I, I will just correct you. It's actually just beyond the trail, um, but it is it is very easy to get it confused. We have another series called on. Uh, on the trail of. Oh, so that's it's what I'm sort, sort of okay, similar. sorry about that. No, no worries at all. Trust me. Uh, we're thinking about naming it Bigfoot Beyond the Trail, so that may be the new title. So, well, let us know. We'll try and get it right. <laughs> it's a little confusing. So, yeah, it's a series that we've been working on. I started out uh, last January, so January of 2021, filming the first episode in New Hampshire, and uh, it's it's sort of a series, but it's also each episode, if you want to call it that, is a standalone documentary. So. 
you don't have to watch them all to understand it. Obviously, the recurring characters in the in the series is myself as well as some of the other investigators, primarily my buddy Eli Watson, uh, Tate Hieronymus, and, and you'll you'll see some familiar faces. Seth Breedlove will appear occasionally in some of them. So there's a, kind of that small town monsters crew, but each each episode is its own documentary, which covers the topic of Sasquatch in different parts of the United States. So up to this point, I believe we have nine episodes. I could be totally wrong because I'm bad at math, but we have uh, the first episode, which is called uh, the Grant State Bigfoot Case, which is about a personal case of mine here in New Hampshire that I've been looking into over the years and sort of just putting it on on camera and kind of discussing it and and, and uh, talking about that in a sort of expanded fashion. Uh, then we have uh, northern Maine as well, uh, Sasquatch in the Pine Tree State, where we basically are, our goal of a lot of these is to go to very remote areas where there's a history of sightings and just see what we can or can't have happen, try out some of the techniques that have been tried out over the years, and move from there. So as I said, we have northern Maine. We have uh, Bluff Creek, northern California, which is uh, we actually went to the site of the famous 1967 Patterson-Gimlin film. Uh, then we have Bigfoot Mountain, which is the area around Mount Hood, Oregon. We have Rocky Mountain Sasquatch, which is, of course, in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Mm. Um, Sasquatch Valley, which takes place in the Hiuinta Mountain Range of, of uh, not Washington, of, of Utah. Uh, we're, we're all over the place, so it's hard to keep track. We've also got uh, Olympic Sasquatch, which is about Sasquatch in the Olympic Peninsula, the Olympic Mountains of Washington State, which has some of the highest reportings of uh Highest density of Sasquatch reports in the world, really. It's that temperate rainforest up in Washington that's just a super conducive environment. And then we've got the monster of Minerva, about a creature seen in Minerva, Ohio. And our most recent one is called the Sawgrass Skunk Ape, which is about, of course, the skunk ape in Florida. I have a shirt that says skunk ape, so that's yeah, sort of right along, that. those, yeah. <laughs> right along those lines. So, yeah, so we have a lot more coming out. And um, yeah, they're all on YouTube on the Small Town Monsters channel. We're probably looking into uh, more streaming platforms for them, but you can go watch them for free on Small Town Monsters on YouTube, um, or you can become a squad member of the channel and watch them in 4K as well, ad-free. Um, and like I said, they're each a standalone documentary, so you don't have to watch them all, but, I mean, if you want to, you'll, you'll see us throughout there, and we really try to take an honest approach to the research, unlike a lot of what's seen on TV and in other entertainment, uh, where there's a heavy emphasis on finding evidence every time and, there's a lot of hoaxing, we'll put it that way. There's not a lot of truth-telling. We really try to stick to our guns, and we'll not fabricate anything. We'll let you know if we find anything. If not, you'll see exactly that. But we try to make it interesting for folks along the way because real Sasquatch research is not this super glamorous thing you see on TV. Uh, it can be fun and adventurous, but um, it, you know you have to try to uh, to be honest about it, and I think that's that's kind of our approach. So, what are the common factors that you've seen, kind of uh, across all of all of these these different sort of, uh, I guess, for lack of better words, biomes? We'll call them that, right? You've 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 been in all these different places. They're all over the country. Um, yeah. And have you found that there's a lot of commonalities between any of the incidents that have occurred there? Anything you can kind of point to and say, okay, you know, this connects to this. This connects to this. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the the problem when you're dealing with such different types of terrain. I mean, we were just down in the beginning of this year down in Florida, four separate sort of expeditions in the state of Florida, and it's it's a very difficult environment. You know, you've mm. all these animals and and different threats to you as a person that are totally different than what you might deal with in the Rocky Mountains or Northern California or even in New Hampshire. Right. Yeah, you're different not going to find of, gators in the mountains. <laughs> exactly. You're dealing with moose. So there there's totally there's a lot of differences, but I think. 
when it comes to the sort of the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot reports, Skunk Ape, whatever you want to call it, and there are many regional names, there is a lot of commonalities in the way people describe some of the uh, behaviors, primarily um, things that people experience like rock throwing, getting things thrown at them, whether they see them visually or, or hear them or that sort of thing. Wood knocking is another one of these. Now, there's a, a belief uh, that Sasquatch possibly use wood knocking as some form of communication. Um, and obviously not every wood knock you hear in the woods is a Sasquatch, but we've heard quite a few that are very interesting that don't really seem to be explainable by a conventional sort of natural method. So that's something that I, I hear reported all the time and a lot of the audio we hear from researchers in other areas as well, wood knocking, rock throwing, uh, howls, and some of the vocalizations, whoop-like vocalizations. Now, obviously, uh, you know, whenever you have something that you think is unusual, you should probably try to, at first, debunk it, or not debunk it, but uh, find out what it is other than a Sasquatch, because Sasquatch is probably the last thing you should think of. Uh, there's other animals make all kinds, kinds of strange noises and weird behaviors that you know may not be documented. So try to exhaust the other possibilities before jumping to the Sasquatch conclusion. But more to your question... Yeah, we've definitely seen the way that these things have been reported as well in terms of uh, visual sightings, so Class A people. Usually, majority of the sightings tend to be road crossing sightings, actually, where people are driving a road at night or sometimes even in the daytime, and they see you know, what first they think is some massive bear, then somebody with a fur coat crossing in front of them, and they quickly realize it's not very human-like. Or it is human-like, but it doesn't seem to be a human being. Road crossing sightings are a vast majority everywhere for whatever reason. Um, regardless of the terrain, I don't know if these things are just curious. They just happen to do that. I mean, they're clear, if if they are some sort of a higher primate, they would clearly have to be more intelligent than, say, deer or other animals that, in a panic, will run in front of cars. That's, you know, why there's so much roadkill. Those types of uh, less intelligent animals, they just do that sort of out of instinct. They're saying, so, "Oh, this is my chance." They freak out and they run out and get hit by a car. Um, and I've, I've heard a lot of theories that perhaps Sasquatch are doing it out of curiosity or it's their version of playing chicken. I mean, I don't know. That's, but that, for whatever reason, is all, all over the place. One of the most reported types of things that people see is a road crossing sighting, um, usually at night with the headlights clearly illuminating what's in front of them. So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, do you have another question? No, go for oh. it. I'm, I'm preparing. Okay. Let's <laughs> think about it. Uh, so, uh, Alexander, uh, you've uh, assisted us on the Pennsylvania case for years, and uh, it's, I, I find it ironic that you're one of the few that has not had a Bigfoot encounter down there. Uh, there's something unjust in that, I think. However, um, uh, and I would refer listeners to the May 25th, 2019 show, two-hour special that we did from there, which included Alexander. And uh, we were talking, we had a, a very, very eventful trip that time, and uh, you were a witness to the uh, the UFO sighting that occurred. And uh, as a matter of fact, both of us have articles in, in the same book about it, from two different points of view. I think they, they think they complement each other beautifully. But there is there is, is um, we had the neighborhood meeting, the largest one we ever had. You spoke at it. There were like thirty five people, most of whom had had Bigfoot encounters and. Uh, and uh, strange lights in the sky and proximity to that. You and uh, Chuck Credo did some interviews. A really very, very productive trip. So the, the point of that long-winded opening is, uh, uh, do you often encounter uh, lights, strange lights, along with Bigfoot, or at least in proximity to Bigfoot, that 
may or may not indicate that the two phenomena are related. Yeah, that's a good question. That's always one that usually comes up. It's it's tricky. I mean, yes and no. Uh, on one hand, stories of weird lights in the woods, I think, has been going on for quite a while. And if somebody sees a strange light in the woods, I mean, would they assume that it has to do with Bigfoot? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe they are related. I really don't know. I think there's some really just strange things out there that we don't understand. Is Bigfoot connected possibly? But there have been a few times where... We've seen strange objects in the woods. I mean, just this past weekend, I was in Minerva, Ohio, with Seth Breedlove, and we were at this property that's in Minerva that's been featured in not only our episode of Beyond the Trail, but Seth's series called The Bigfoot Project, where it's sort of a long-stay format where he looks at this property and, and goes back there repeatedly multiple times and kind of documents what they can find. And we saw some sort of a strange light. We assumed it was somebody breaking into his car, which was about a field away, so we quickly got into a um, gator vehicle, sort of an all-terrain vehicle, and got to the location where his car was parked because we were out in the middle of nowhere in this wooded area, and, and there was nobody there. And he, he could have swore it was somebody with a light, you know, walking around. Well, on that same property, we've actually filmed something in the background of us at a campfire previously in November where there was some sort of a strange hovering orb in the background. We don't know what it was. And it was in the same night where we heard wood knocking, um, and also in Florida recently, a friend of mine, Tate Hieronymus, who was on our uh, expedition with us, who folks will know if they've seen the series, he's been quite a few episodes now, he was walking with another group of folks as I was up um, with Eli and another another guy, Stacy Brown, and they had heard wood knocks that night as, as we kind of divided up into two teams, and that later that night as we were all kind of going back, Tate and a few other folks saw what they described as a strange orb just quickly zip through the trees, you know, very very low level, you know, within 20, 30 feet of, of them and sort of up in the in the trees. So it wasn't up in the sky. It was clearly beneath in the tree canopy, which is strange because there was wood knocks going on that night. I mean, is there a connection there? Like I said, I really don't know. Maybe there is. A lot of people seem to think so. And I've talked to other Bigfoot researchers that are wholly on the flesh and blood sort of perspective where they think that Sasquatch yeah. is a biological creature that have also ex talked about seeing orbs. I mean, I've seen orbs before as well, um, and I remember my first time in Northern California in Willow Creek, near Bluff Creek, uh, I, I saw what I could only describe as a UFO up in the sky, zipping around in the stars, and um, wouldn't really consider that an orb, but it was just interesting to see that in an area that's so well known for Bigfoot. Now, are, again, are they connected? I don't know. Is it just that these areas, these flap areas, these strange areas, Maybe we just don't have a frame of understanding them currently as yep. in our current sort of understanding. Maybe there's something that attracts Sasquatches there. But then again, Sasquatches are seen all over the place. But I do find it interesting that there are usually a good amount of reports in areas that are described as flap areas when it comes to Sasquatch. Um, but then there are majority of Sasquatch reports that I've seen that I've come across that I've heard about um, it, the creature acts in a way that something biological would act or something totally unusual in, in a kind of an earthly sense where it's they're usually seeing it, it's running away, or it's not exhibiting any strange qualities. But there are that minority reports that lights are directly involved with Sasquatch or the Sasquatch disappears or something like that. Um, you know, I don't necessarily lean that direction, but I'm not going to discount it. I know in the past, people have cherry-picked the data. If it didn't suit them, they would sort of you know, omit those more weird elements and just focus on, well, it's definitely a flesh-and-blood creature. And you know, just because I lean towards that direction doesn't mean I'm going to wholeheartedly discount 
the the weirder reports, even though they are a minority, I mean, they're still valid. These people, in, in a lot of cases, I've talked to credible people, they truly believe what they saw, and, and orbs and strange things were involved. So I, I'm not going to deny that at all. Uh, I will let somebody else kind of be able to sift through that. And if I come across that, I will report it as such. I'm not going to you know, omit it, as I said. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Confirmation bias is always always yeah. a danger in 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 the fields that that we're in. Um, right, and it's and it, it's hard not to right because you we all want to be right. Um, so, of course. So this, it, you know, it's funny. Um, it's funny you bring it up, Dad. This this actually leads leads us into the, the question I've just been kind of working on, and I, I brought this up to um, I think it was Josh Rutledge and um, Stephen Gerhart when we had them on mm. um, a couple months ago. Uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? So there's, there's, you know, it, for for those who don't know, it's um, it, it was it was a contemporary document, I guess you could call it that, with you know the the Bible and various other mythologies that were kind of going on in the Mediterranean, um, and this was of the Sumerian Empire, I believe. Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and um, it's a really interesting story, and it, it centers around this guy Gilgamesh, who's two thirds god, two thirds of a god, one third man, um, and he's a big king, and he's he he's kind of a jerk, um, and the, so the, the gods don't like him. So they make they basically decide, all right, well we're gonna make this this sort of antithesis of Gilgamesh, who's sort of this, you know, he's this big strong guy, lives in a city, whatever. And so they make this wild man called Enkidu, and Enkidu is sort of the antithesis of Gilgamesh, and he's described in a couple of different ways. Um, he's described as a wild man. Sometimes he's described as half bull, half man. Other times he he just sounds like a Bigfoot. Right, right, and it's it's sort of this this interesting thing because he kind of exists on the outside of of society, and the story kind of goes on, and, and it kind of climaxes with Gilgamesh and Enkidu kind of having a wrestling match. And I bring this up because um, there's sort of this idea on the outside, on on the rims of society, right? You know, on, on sort of the the outskirts of the civilized world, we'll call it in quotes. Um, where mon- monsters exist, right? Whether whether they're right. they're real or not, but sort of the the symbol of the monstrous exists, right? You know, we we're kind of spooked by going in the woods at night, you know, especially you know deep middle of nowhere. Um, but this this idea that that this idea and and honestly kind of a reality, you know, with all the evidence, if, if we can point to it and say, okay, well, there's something that does exist on the on the outside of civilization. Um, which, you know, that it comes to this point where is it spiritual, is it biological, or is it both, you know? And who's to say that just because it's a biological thing doesn't mean it has symbolic implications, right? Because obviously, you know, we've grown up in, in a civilization, you know, that hasn't changed much. The, you know, we've, the technology's changed, but the human, the human experience hasn't changed in, at all. We still are spooked by the bumps in the night. We still think that there are monsters on the outskirts of society, and when we hear stories about them, right? You know, I, I'd argue that true crime is the modern day ghost story, because it shows that the monstrous exists within our society. Yeah. So on the outskirts of it, right? You know, we have we have these stories, we have these experiences. Now, just because it's biological, does it matter if it's spiritual or not? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely agree. That's something I think of quite a, quite a bit when it comes to this topic. I mean, I, I often think, is this just sort of a projection that we as human beings almost need to have, especially as our civilization moves towards um, technocracy, you know, complete digitization of, of the human consciousness, if that is something that's indeed in the cards. I mean, either way, even if it's not, we as human beings are trending towards urbanization 
at rates that even a hundred years ago would have seemed impossible, right? I mean, mm. majority of civilization now lives, uh, you know, removed from the wilderness. We've lost those skills that even a hundred, hundred fifty years ago, our ancestors lived much closer to the land and much more in harmony with the land than we do now. Um, so I think as, as we move towards that, I mean, is it just our need to kind of project something like this into the, into the wilderness, into these untamed areas of which there are still so many, especially in North America, uh, there are, and you know places like Siberia and parts of Asia where there's still so much territory and land that people routinely disappear in simply out of ineptitude, you know, more than anything else. Just fall. You can. I've been to areas where if you fall off the trail, you probably will not be found for years to come. Mm. You know, just into a crevasse, just gone forever. Um, so, do we have a need to project this? And I think about that a lot. I mean, I think in some certain ways we do. I don't necessarily think that that. Um, says that something like a Sasquatch can't exist. And I think a lot of what our projecting of that you know, possibly is a result of is our our history. I mean, if, if you look at the way, if you believe in sort of the, the way evolution works, and, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of debate about that and the, you know, what, what scientists say is the evolutionary tree of, of humanity has changed in recent years because there's constant new discoveries and there's a lot of, you know, unknown species being added into the mix. I mean, you've got all these human-like and humanoid um, creatures uh, that are being discovered that are, well, are they in the homo genus? Are they australopithecines? Are they some sort of a man-like, ape-like creature? There's a lot being discovered, and I think a lot of our ancestors would have been in closer contact with these, these creatures or, or at least had some sort of an interaction. I mean, I think a lot of, you look at folklore around the world, such as uh, one I like to point to is in Scandinavia, stories of trolls and ogres are mm. very pre- very prevalent, and if you look at the yeah. way the descriptions are, um, I don't I don't find it far fetched that you've had uh, groups of Neanderthals that were, you know, according to our research, uh, made extinct essentially by us pushing them to the you know, as a competitor out of out of our areas. What if there were groups of Neanderthals that lived up into a few thousand years ago in the remote crevasses and and fjords in Scandinavian regions where you'd have knights and other people come across these creatures that. You know, would have looked somewhat human-like, but with those extended brow ridges, the the swarthy features, very muscular, using primitive clubs, uh, clothing made out of animal garments. You know, what if they experienced those beings, and that's where the stories of the trolls and the ogres came? And as as these populations dwindled, there was less and less of them. You know, that's where these legends sort of remained, and those stories were, are still told to this day. Uh, perhaps that has to do with that. I mean. Um, what I do find interesting, though, is that you do have these stories in other cultures, such as in the Himalayas with, obviously, the Yeti and places like Indonesia with the Orang Pendek, which is sort of a small version of a Bigfoot-like creature. Mm. These stories have been talked about for years, and uh, the only issue is they're not they're, they're contemporary, right? They're not just stories that were from hundreds of years ago passed down. There are modern sightings of, of similar creatures to the descriptions of the Yeti and the Orang Pendek um, in other areas in Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia as well of of rock apes is the USGIs who were there during the Vietnam War described encountering these five to six feet tall hairy creatures that would throw rocks at them in the woods, right? I mean, and you have stories like that, that, that again, they bridge that folkloric aspect with modern contemporary reports in parts of Indonesia and Sumatra where you have this incredibly diverse rainforest environment where you have woolly rhinos or, you know, the Sumatran rhino, the Elephants, tigers, all these large animals, orangutans, existing in an area where there's also a report of a hairy man-like creature. And you've had uh, Westerners that even come across as the Dutch, when they colonized that area, heard the stories and apparently had encounters. So that, that kind of, again, bridges that folkloric gap. 
And then you get to North America where you have a rich history of First Nations tribes uh, that talk about encountering strange creatures in the woods. Now, not every single one of their stories was identical, of course. I mean, and I'm not going to speak for them, but um, there was quite a few stories of the, gi- the giants of the woods, the forest protectors. Some tribes viewed them as benevolent. Some viewed them as uh, cannibal giants that would steal their women and children. Um, some used them as a boogeyman story, like every culture has a boogeyman story. And then you get into North America, you know, the, the colonial times and the founding of the United States and the pushing westward and some of these stories that have come across that are pretty interesting that, you know, if our figments of imagination are very, very intriguing because a lot of the behaviors reported mirror known ape behavior in terms of gorillas and chimpanzees and, hmm. and other uh, primate-like behavior that we have on record. So, you know, like when I mentioned the tribes as well, some of the, the, the facial um, masks and the carvings and the costumes that they had, especially in the Pacific Northwest, Coastal Salish tribe is a big one in British Columbia where they have these costumes that are these hairy man-like creatures that almost mimic ape anatomy in very strange ways that how would a tribe in the remote mountainous rainforest areas of British Columbia know what certain ape anatomy and behavior is like? Uh, There's almost no way they would be able to know that unless they were in direct contact with something like that. So um, I think it's really interesting. I think there are still, especially just on my experience, I've been to some really, really remote and crazy places that something even in small numbers or even in larger numbers, could easily stay hidden from humanity because we are so predictable. We stay on the path. We stay on the road or the trail. We very rarely venture off into some of these more remote areas, especially now, as I mentioned, we've lost some of those skills. There's not really any more mountain men or trappers out in the forest as there used to be. Um, hunting is declining. There's no more hunter-gatherer tribes in the landscape. So you have areas where a lot of these areas that are state or federally run areas as well where the gates for the roads and close and are almost closed for months. A lot of these mountainous areas due to snowfall. So you have areas like the northern California part of Bluff Creek, where the Patterson Gimlin film was taking, where there's almost zero human activity for three, four, five months at a time, where there's just nothing but wildlife out there. So if something wants to stay hidden, it easily could. And I think, I think it's very possible that that is what's going on in these, some of these remote areas across. The United States and especially Canada. I mean, Canada is is a wild case. Most of the population of Canada lives very close to the U.S. border. I mean, you can draw a line between the Great Lakes and New York, and 50% of Canada's population lives under that line, which is that Toronto, Ontario area. So mm. uh, Canada is just vast. Uh, yeah. So there, there's just so much out there, and, and I do appreciate that angle you brought in, Ben, about that sort of need for something wild, because I do think that plays a part, and I think that plays a part in our fascination and why something like this could possibly be out there. Mm. Okay, well, let's take our, our break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest, Alexander Petikoff, so stay with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WON Radio AM and FM. And let's get uh, right to um, our a question from uh, our uh, good friend and uh, sometime co-host in uh, South America, Peter 
Shelley and Ben, if you would uh, pose the question. Sure thing. Uh, so Peter writes to us, uh, I've heard reports of some individuals claiming telepathic contact with Bigfoot. Do you think there is any validity to such reports, and have you looked into it? Up, oh, you're muted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I've I've heard it come up quite a bit. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion. Um, I don't know personally. I haven't looked really into it. I'm not at all uh, an expert, I guess, in telepathy or anything that entails that sort of um, realm. Now, I have heard stories of people saying, "Well, you know, I I spoke with the Sasquatch, or I had some sort of telepathic communication, or I kind of knew what it was telling me." I, I do think that there's something very interesting going on with animal communication. I mean, there are these people that claim to be able to, whether it's telepathic or not, I don't know, but communicate with animals in a way that other people simply aren't. And I'm not talking Dr. Doolittle <laughs> style, um, but, I, you know, there's folks that I've talked to that are totally run-of-the-mill biologists that have claimed to have looked at something like a mountain lion and had sort of this exchange, a uh, very, very interesting kind of thing. And what is going on there? I don't know. That's probably beyond our understanding currently. Um, and there's certainly people that look into that more. Um, would something like a Sasquatch be able to do that? I don't know. Would something like a gorilla be able to? Maybe that's happened. Maybe somebody's had an experience like that. I don't know. Um, I, I, I do think that there are some people who like to kind of use that sort of Sasquatch telepathy sort of thing to claim that they're an expert and will use that in a way that say, well, I'm the one that can communicate with them, and this is the message that they, they have for humanity. And then th- there's actually been a lot of strange things that have happened in, in sort of the Bigfooting world. There are certain groups and people that almost become cult-like, where you have some leader who's the one that communicates with the Sasquatch and uh, gets all political and very strange things happen, uh, which I think is just uh, is just human beings being crazy at that point. But, uh, <laughs> people being people. Yeah, so people will basically be using that sort of Sasquatch thing as a, as a means to gain power and become sort of important in their own mind, become a prophet. I mean, throughout history, you've had people who have you know, false prophets, people who have claimed to be connected with God, right? I mean, that's that's something that's occurred throughout history time and time again. Um, and oftentimes it leads to cults and strange things happening, and, and there's been a little bit of a degree of that in Sasquatch as well, but I don't think it's really taken as seriously as something like the Branch Davidians or some other sort of really like dangerous kind of cult thing going on. But yeah, there, there is a degree of that, and like I said, I... I would look at it more from the perspective of, uh, you know, animal communication. There are people who, who certainly can communicate with animals much better than other human beings, whether or not that is truly telepathic or they're just on an emotional level can understand the animals and they understand each other. Uh, animals are extremely intelligent. We don't give them enough credit mm. for how smart they are. I mean, even our, our pets, you know, cats and dogs, but other animals, chimps, uh, dolphins, they're in- incredibly em- em- empathetic animals, you know, that they can really communicate with people and um yeah so i think that's some an area to look at as well as infrasound um infrasound is completely i think still misunderstood in the way that animals can use it to communicate for miles on end including elephants tigers can use it to stun their prey um is there something there that's going on does that sort of convey a message uh, would something like a sasquatch be able to use infrasound i don't know there's been a lot of talk of that in recent years so that's another avenue i would look at but uh, we haven't really con- con- concretely looked at that because we know so little about Sasquatch or, you know, what it's sort of like. We only really have to rely on thousands of anecdotal reports through eyewitness uh, sightings and then, you know, what other little evidence we have in terms of strange hair samples, uh, footprint evidence, audio, and other sort of things. So we're still uh, very much in the guessing game sort of 
hypothesizing stage of it. So very tough to say anything concretely. Okay. And uh, Peter has a second question, I believe. He does. And the question is, um, have you had any experience uh, trying to interest big companies like Netflix, HBO, etc. in your projects? Uh, do they have special requirements? Yeah, so uh, not not necessarily. Now, I, uh, you know, the series is through Small Town Monsters, which is an independent production company that delves into all sorts of cryptid and paranormal stories. I mean, Bigfoot is, is obviously a very hot topic, so that's why, uh, you know, I enjoy doing the Bigfoot stuff, but a lot of the other productions that are done by Small Town Monsters, I mean, for 2022, we just concluded the Kickstarter campaign to, to allow folks to raise money and also be involved, kind of part of the process, right? Uh, and we'll be doing a film this year about the Jersey Devil, which is going to be much more of a narrative about, um, you know, uh, not a documentary. There will be a documentary element to it, but it's sort of the origin stories of the Jersey Devil. So in, it'll include recreations of the lead story, which I think is an important part of American folklore. Mm. Um, uh, other story, you know, on the trail of UFOs, which is basically kind of what we do with Bigfoot, but looking at the UFO phenomena, it's primarily eyewitness-driven. So... Um, uh, it's it's very much on on the boots boots on the ground, but mostly eyewitnesses talking about their experiences, whether it be cattle mutilations or um, you know when we came up here to New Hampshire a few years ago and did a, one of the on the trail of UFOs series about you know uh, abductions. Of course, the Betty Barney Hill case, talking to some of the folks that we know, like Mike Stevens and others. Uh, so there's there's quite a few different things that Small Town Monsters delves into, uh, and you know we've expanded our YouTube presence as well. That's primarily beyond the trail has been a YouTube series. So we're 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 gaining a lot of numbers. I mean, with Beyond the Trail up to this point, we have about three million views, uh, mm. just under just under wow. three million views with our series. Um, so I, I, we don't really need to be looking to some of these larger companies that unfortunately usually try to stifle control. I mean, yeah, they do. Um, and not to name any names, but there are some series and. and companies that have no issue with uh, planning fake evidence sure. and uh, dramatizing things to the point where it's untruthful. And I, I, I can't sell with that. If I was told to do that, I would I would immediately be out. Um, and I, I just can't stand with that. I, I'm, I'm creating content, but also documentaries that I think, I hope will influence people to actually truthfully look at the subjects, not just believe in, in whatever I'm being told on TV. And right. uh, I, I'm creating something that I want to see. If I'm you know somebody that's a cryptid or Bigfoot enthusiast, this is something I would like to enjoy seeing. So, I, mean, I don't want to be treated like a child. You know, we've had enough of the reality TV stuff over the years, uh, and you know, and I've noticed ever since I've talked about these sorts of programs in this way, that's that's when I've ceased to receive emails from some of these major production companies about doing interviews and uh, wanting to have me on their shows and that sort of thing. Which, which again, I'm fine with because I think we're competing with them in a lot of ways and we're doing it in a truthful way. Um, and uh, getting on TV is not the end-all, be-all. You can do it on your own. It's a very uphill battle, I will say. You know, you're competing with uh, corporate, you know, um, megalomaniac sort of companies, but uh, there's an audience for it, and people are supporting us, and, and we're obviously happy to do that. I mean, well, there's no, there's no sacrifice, or well, there's no, there's no substitute for integrity, I suppose. That's absolutely in the long run, absolutely, yeah. and even in the short run. Exactly. So, Alexander, tell us about some of the encounters you have had out there in the vast wilderness. Yeah, I mean, there there's so many strange things that happen, and, and not every single one of those is Bigfoot, of course. As I mentioned earlier, Bigfoot's usually the last thing you should think of. I think a lot of people don't spend enough time in the woods that they could easily mistake 
common animals or things that happen as possibly Bigfoot. I think that's something I just caution people, not putting anybody down. I'm just saying go spend time in your woods. If you have a local research area, spend a lot of time out there. Learn what the woodpeckers do, what other animals do. Try to find other sign of other creatures. That The, the more you know about your environment, the more you're, you're going to be able to weed out anything that isn't Bigfoot related or, or you're just going to be able to find something that maybe you're confused about before and say, wow, so that's what that is. You're expanding your knowledge about the natural world, and I think that's absolutely fantastic. But um, when it comes to some of the strange things I've experienced, yeah, I preface that for a reason. We've had things that I can't say 100% are Sasquatch, but are just so strange. I mean, one of the strangest things we had happen, uh, which happened to a friend of mine and I, uh, this wasn't actually while we were filming a Beyond the Trail, but it was uh, still, it happened kind of in between some of our productions, was in uh, Vermont in the Green Mountains. We were on our way to a Lake Champlain monster-themed event, and we had happened to camp in an area um, that my brother had told me about that was just a great camp spot, end of the road, middle of nowhere, Green Mountain National Forest. And that evening we had put up a Sasquatch pheromone chip, which is a uh, kind of like hunting lures that are used, and, and it's, a, it's a nasty concoction of smells, and some of which I can't even mention on air, but uh, let's just say it has human and gorilla hormonal sense to it. So... Absolutely disgusting, and, and it's been used in, in to some degree of success in certain areas. People have had provoked a response, and the idea behind the, the pheromone chip is maybe attracting something interested in it and have something happen, right? So we deployed a pheromone chip that evening in the forest outside of our camp, and we were at a dead-end road, completely surrounded by forest. We had done some wood knocking the night prior. The next morning around 6, 7 a.m., um, we were woken up by wood knocks. I had heard three at first. About 20 minutes later, there was another one. And then about 10, 15 minutes after that, we were pelted with about eight different objects that came from this sort of uh, little hill that was above our campsite. Rocks, sticks, we couldn't really see what they were, but you could see that they were coming from a distance in an arch pattern flying towards our tent. It would land a few feet in front of our tent. They were never hitting our tent or anything. We, and we had no rain fly on the tent, so we were just, we could see everything out there. And we could see these things arch through the trees as, as leaves were parting and flying towards us. Every 10, 15 seconds, this happened about seven or eight times where all these objects flew at us, which is extremely bizarre. And, you know, we kind of just sat there paralyzed in the tent looking in that direction, watching as it happened with the audio recorder rolling. And so we do have the audio of it, and you can hear it. It's very loud objects. I mean, I think much too loud for a squirrel to be up in a tree knocking acorns down at us. It was, it was, loud and you could see it coming from a distance you can hear it too in the audio that was strange we got out of the tent and sort of pushed into that area heard another couple strange noises by the time we got to this hill there was nothing there i mean it's extreme it was it was in the middle of summer so full foliage extremely thick as human beings you're louder than an elephant trying to be stealthy in uh, in some of these areas so that was very unusual and we've gone back there and recreated it and you know, have found similar results with somebody in that same vicinity throwing stuff towards us as a kind of recreation. So I can't say that's what, 100% what, what if it was stuff being thrown. I mean, that's what it appeared to be. Very unusual otherwise. Um, and, you know, other things that we've had happen in uh, other parts of the country while on the Beyond the Trail series is, you know, mostly hearing these strange wood knocks. As you're, you know, in the high winters of Utah, we're just hiking up on this trail and are stopped in, in dead of night by something just smacking a large tree as loud as it could be with no wind that night, no other movement heard, and, and we settle down, we're hunkering down. Every time we turn our lights on, we would hear these loud knocks from one or another direction. And then a few day, a few mornings after that, and this is just six miles up a mountain range, 10,000 plus feet elevation, middle of absolutely nowhere. We had hiked in, physically hiked in. 
few mornings after that, we had done some wood knocks and actually had something respond to us twice in an area, and we pushed right towards that where the sounds were coming from and you know, couldn't find anything. But again, as a human being, as I mentioned, we're not very stealthy. Uh, we've had other strange things happen. I mean, I could I could do a whole kind of analysis of all the things we've had happen that just are, they get put in that unexplainable bucket. You know, they fit in with some of the other Bigfoot descriptions and reports, but we can't say 100%, of course, because we weren't able to see one or find any kind of secondary evidence. They're just very strange things that happen, mysterious whoop noises and rock slides that come out of nowhere as you're in the middle of the road, in the middle of the northern California mountains, things getting thrown at you, that sort of stuff. So um, there, there's quite a bit of that. And you know, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we show all that in, in the series. We'll show you exactly what it is, and we'll show you the audio analysis amplified and that sort of thing if it's something strange. And we really try to leave it up to the folks to make up their own conclusions because we obviously are not sold that it's Bigfoot 100%, but uh, there are just certain things that happen that are very unusual that we just can't explain. I remember uh, the 2018 expedition to Pennsylvania. Uh, you and I were standing there <coughs> watching those red lights yeah. uh, in the trees, and then there was wood knocking, and uh, it turned out to be Shane Searway uh, trying to steer steer things up. But uh, <laughs> we've had some uh, cool experiences. So tell us where people can see uh, Beyond the Trail and where they can find out more about you and your website, et cetera. Sure, yeah. The- best place to find out about some of my work, and including Beyond the Trail, is my website, petakovmedia.com. That's P-E-T-A-K-O-V uh, media.com. And that has links to everything. And I have a YouTube channel called Sasquatch Out of the Shadows, where every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, we do a live stream show where we talk to various Bigfoot researchers, other cryptid researchers, folks that aren't involved in the Bigfoot subject at times, that have a casual interest. We just try to talk to a variety of folks. But uh, there's links to that channel and all other documentaries on my website, including documentaries that are non-Bigfoot-related, but uh, uh, smalltownmonsters.com or smalltownmonsters on YouTube is the easiest place to go see the Beyond the Trail series. Um, and there are links on my website to it as well. And you can go watch them, like I said, on YouTube. They're free on YouTube. Um, and, you know, if you enjoy it, I'd love to hear your, your feedback. I always love getting messages from people saying they enjoyed seeing the adventure kind of living vicariously through us because we really do try to push the envelope a little bit in some of these areas and, you know, we don't go in with a big production team that stays for two hours. We stay for multiple days in very remote locations. And we have some pretty crazy adventures coming up that I'm really excited about, including Alaska, which will be probably the biggest undertaking that we have coming up uh, that we've really ever done. So there, there's a lot There's a lot we're planning, and, and we love um, love to hear that people enjoy it. And if you have any tips or critiques or anything like that, we, we accept it all. Just don't be a jerk because nobody likes being mean online, and it's easy to be a jerk with anonymity, right? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, constructive criticism as well. Well, I, I will tell you, let us know once you get into the Jersey Devil one because we can refer you to a rather cool witness. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, okay, uh, so uh, do you have anything else? Pat? I do. Um, I, I guess I, I want to take like half a step back to, or sure. a step and a half back um, to kind of wrap, wrap things up here. Um, I think it's interesting that one of the... Um, one of the commonalities between between all all the places you've you've sort of been is that you know there's there's this sort of this consistent um, phenomenon of people seeing Bigfoot you know cross the road while they're while they're driving, um, and it, it and the question that that kind of stuck in my head was um, do you think that as sort of the world has been changing the experience of of 
Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whoever is going to change as well, or or is it going to be consistent? It's a good question. I mean, it's it's possible. I don't know, uh, you know, exactly how to tackle that. I suppose what I find interesting is, you know, even reports from 50, 60 years ago, before there was a cultural awareness of Bigfoot. I mean, even a hundred years ago, reports of strange, hairy man-like creatures. There's always some sort of a consistency in sort of behavior and, and the way things are reported. I think you know, now, obviously, there's a prevalence of motor vehicles. I mean, almost mm-hmm. everyone in, in the first world has a vehicle, and a lot of these other remote places, you need a vehicle to get around, whether it's in remote Siberia or remote Montana, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have a truck or a car. I mean, you, you can't get around. You don't have that issue if you're in the city, of course. You rely on public transport. Um, no Bigfoot's running in front of trolleys or, or subways, as far <laughs> as, I, as I know. But uh, I think maybe that's just a symptom of our, our modern world. You know, more people are in their cars, so they're more liable to see a grizzly bear or a black bear or a moose cross the road or an alligator. depends on what area they're in. So, as again, I mean, I think Sasquatch are probably more intelligent than something like a deer, of course. I mean, if we base that simply on ourselves and other living great apes or primates even that are just intelligent animals, they maybe they're tricksters. Maybe they just like to have fun with humans and run in front of the road and be like, oh, I can freak this guy out. I know how to really get him get him worked up, right? Um, I don't know, but uh, you know, maybe maybe there is an element of that as well, where it's just our humanity as the world gets more modernized. We just we're going to start interpreting Sasquatch differently in, in ways that uh, it's interacting with our modern world, or maybe it's just because we're encroaching on habitat in certain areas. You know, an area that was once a vibrant forest is now a one of those cookie cutter uh, developments. So you have animals that are still that lived in that area previously, you know, things like foxes and deer and other things that will maybe they have that ancestral memory to come and move through that area. Well, maybe there are some Sasquatches that lived in an area that's now developed and they now have their habitat pushed back and they live on the fringes. I don't know. I mean, there's so many questions and I think they're all valid. Um, and I, and I think yeah, there is certainly an element of, of humanity perhaps projecting and wanting something to be there so badly. But I, I do think that there's, there's something going on clearly. Uh, mm. Something that's leaving some sort of physical evidence, you know, even if it is some paranormal entity. I mean, even if that is the case, it is still leaving footprints and, and unidentified hair samples and, and noises. So it's interacting on a physical plane with humanity or with people that are, you know, you need a person to have a Sasquatch sighting, of course. So, um, you know, even if it is something multidimensional, as some people like to, to go down that route, it's still interacting physically with, with our world. So, mm. Well, Something. even ghosts wear clothes sometimes. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. People people get hit. You know, they'll feel touches and that sort of stuff. So uh, maybe just, we just don't understand. We won't understand for a while some of these some of these things. I just don't. Yeah. Well, frame of reference is just not there. We're still 3D, right? So uh, what's the next dimension that we kind of look into? And I don't well, know. I think uh, your point about animals. Um, being uh, encroached upon by humanity, uh, a lot of them have adapted. Yeah. Uh, there was a news story what is about two weeks ago about the, these uh, there were the, these really fat black bears right uh, who had been uh, eating garbage and people and feeding them and now they're overweight and want to go to the gym so I mean it's just like yeah you know, this mean, is what can happen I just watched the show Planet Earth recently and they had an episode about cities and I thought oh man I don't want to watch urban landscapes disgusting. And it was about the animals that have adapted. And the largest peregrine falcon population on planet Earth is in New York City, believe yeah. me. Actually, so, because they so live on cliffs and they get skyscrapers that are exact, cliffs. 
Well, you know, I don't think something like a Sasquatch can necessarily adapt to living in uh, no, New York City not. unless they're, you know, they, they really disguise themselves. But, well, unless you know, they really are multidimensional. Because, right, yeah, right, 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 right. So, but, uh, yeah. well, uh, certainly to be continued. Uh, now, um, give us your website one more time, please, Al. Sure. Petakov Media. That's P-E-T-A-K-O-V media.com. And uh, just go on there and you'll find links to everything I was talking about. Excellent. And we'll be in touch because we need to plan the next uh, Pennsylvania adventure. Yes. All right. So there we go. All right, Ben, uh, take it away with the announcements here, if you sure would, please. Sure thing. Uh, so we look forward to the New England uh, Parafest in Kittery, Maine, with, uh, which runs from April 10th through the 26th uh, here in the uh, year of 2022. Jesus, I still can't believe we've made it this far. Uh, this will you be, can't believe. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, this, this will be a marathon event um, from April uh, 10th through the 26th, centered at the uh, Community Center in Kittery, Maine. Uh, as part of the Parafest, we will do a live panel here in the studio um, with some of the speakers on April 10th uh, on our regular show slot here on ONAM and FM. Uh, we're scheduled to speak in Kittery, Maine, on Saturday, April 23rd, on the subject of time storms. Now, Alexander, are you going to be speaking at the Parafest? Usually uh, we end up at the same events. Uh, not this year, I don't believe so. I've, I haven't been asked, at least. So unless there's something going on that I'm not aware of. Okay. Very good. Uh, where, where are you speaking? Uh, do you have any programs coming up that people could uh, tune into uh, or uh, attend? At the moment, not currently. I mean, we're just so busy with our schedule. We're kind of all over the place. Usually, a lot of traveling. Yeah, a lot of yeah. traveling. We're going to be, like as I we said say, globe trotting filmmaker. Yeah, we're going to be going to Alaska for quite a while. So, um, wow, cool. nothing, nothing so far. But uh, I'll, I'll, my website, I do announce when I do have stuff going on. Excellent. So visit our show website too, behindtheparanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts. Since 2008, from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM, including uh, many that have been restored in the archives uh, there finally after a couple of years where we weren't able to do that because of uh, issues with the site, but they're all back. Uh, hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms as well, including iTunes, Apple, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Uh, you can also download our show app. It's free, but it's simple, but it's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, the weekly shows will pop up once they're posted to uh, Spreaker, actually, into the other sites. Lovely. So, And you can check out uh, the many charities that we have on our website. That's our charity page that has links to several good causes that we've adopted, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery uh, in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Connecticut uh, Tornado Relief Fund. Western Kentucky. Kentucky. Let's not start any rumors. No, I... (laughs) I, you know why? It's because I'm thinking of the Western Connecticut UFO conference that oh, we've right. been to so many times. That's I've got that in my head. So yeah, well, no, that's not till fall. So we're, we're right. Doing, we're so what, what we're thinking of is the what I meant to say was the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund. Thank there you. There we go. Okay. So what's uh, bubbling in the cauldron for next week, Ben? Yes, uh, bubble, bubble, toil and trouble on March 13th. Uh, we'll offer an open line show with special guest co-host Tim Schwartz to answer your questions on many different. Paranormal subjects. Okay, and you can uh, post questions on Facebook, our show Facebook page, our personal Facebook pages, uh, or uh, email them to paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And we may get to them 
And remember, the shortest questions are always the longest. Yeah, somehow. I don't know if that helps. No. <laughs> um, we leave you today with a thought from the mystic St. Julian of Norwich, who lived in the 14th century, which was a total catastrophe even by our standards. Mm. Uh, it's something that might help us get some perspective as we navigate the terrors of the Roaring Twenties. Quote, All shall be well, all shall be well, for there is a force of love moving through the universe that holds us fast and will never let us go, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.